you to stand as you are able for the reading of the gospel. This year's gospel reading is from Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 28. And interestingly enough, um, there are no palms in Luke's gospel when he recounts Palm Sunday, and neither are there hosannas in um, Luke's gospel. However, there are a couple of particular features that Luke offers uh, that some of the other evangelists don't. So hear the word of the Lord. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this. The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Lord, use your servants' lips and your people's ears and hearts that as they are joined together today, the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with a resurrection joy. Amen and amen. It has been a long trip. As Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he starts north of the Sea of Galilee at about the 12 o'clock position on the Sea of Galilee. He makes his way down into Samaritan territory, Samaritan territory. Eventually, he crosses over the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River that goes straight from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea is typically the border between Jewish culture and non-Jewish culture. So on his trip to Jerusalem, he not only goes in Galilee through the place where Jewish culture is, is typically found, Uh, But he goes into Samaria where he encounters the Samaritans who actually turn aside from him because he is on his way to Jerusalem. The Jews believe that the proper place to worship is in Jerusalem. The Samaritans, uh, after, after Solomon's sons were unable to maintain control of the entire um, land of Israel, the, the uh, Solomonic and Davidic empire wound, winds up down here, and the upper ten tribes end up in Samaria. So the Samaritans don't want the Jews, or don't want the, the residents of Samaria to worship with the Jews, and so they have this argument, what's the proper place for worship. And the Jewish people say the proper place for worship is um, Jerusalem, 
the Samaritans say the proper place for worship is in Samaria. And so then he goes um, over the Jordan River, and he is in Jericho before he makes his final uh, stretch there from Jericho to Bethphage and Bethany. It's about 80 miles as the crow flies from Capernaum up north to Jerusalem down south. By the time you take into account the twists and turns of the trip, uh, about 100 miles that Jesus and his disciples travel to get from Capernaum, where they have taken as home base uh, to Jerusalem here toward the end. Now, Jesus had, di- had told his disciples again and again what was going to happen to him. Jesus, at least three times, if you look at the notes in your Bible, you'll see Jesus foretells his death the first time, the second time, the third time. I actually will make a case that that there are four times in Luke's gospel where Jesus prepares his disciples for what is about to occur. The first of these comes as Peter makes this great confession. Peter's confession, who do people say that I am, Jesus has asked his disciples. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you are Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. And then Jesus zeroes in on the disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter, at his best, at his most insightful, at his most profoundly uh, spiritual to that point, Jesus says in Luke's gospel, simply, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. And right after this, right after Peter has said, you are the Messiah, we find the first example of Jesus being decidedly non-evangelical. He sternly ordered them not to tell anyone, saying, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and on the third day be raised. So, So Peter has this amazing insight And Jesus says, yes, but understand what this means is that I am going to suffer and I am going to die. Well, Peter and James and John get a chance to be a part of the transfiguration. They get to witness Jesus and and this suddenly this, this cloud comes and envelops them in light. And Peter and James and John, who get to do all of the cool things with Jesus, up on the mountain of transfiguration, and they hear the voice, this is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased. Jesus hears the voice, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And so, as the transfiguration is taking place, and suddenly Peter and John and James, they don't know what to do, and Peter, of course, is, is always got some kind of idea. He's always got some kind of a, uh, of a plan, and he doesn't want the transfiguration to end. And so he says, let me build three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. 
And then suddenly as the miracle of the transfiguration comes, suddenly it is gone. And right after the transfiguration, Jesus says, all were astounded at the greatness of God. And while everyone was amazed at all he was, at all he was doing, he said to his disciples, let these words sink into your heart. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. Jesus has never let it be a mystery what is going to happen. But they didn't understand this saying. Its meaning was concealed from them so that they could not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Well, as he approaches Jerusalem, we have this beautiful spot, and there's a place where this is commemorated outside of Jerusalem, where Jesus is looking over the city, and he can see most of the city, and and he weeps, weeps over Jerusalem. This is what I would argue is the third place where Jesus predicts that he is going to die and be handed over. He, He says, yet today and tomorrow and the next day I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you were not willing. As we continue on in Luke, he's told the disciples now three times, and then after he teaches and he is given the parables, and most of the bulk of his teaching of his disciples in the book of Luke, in in one chapter before our reading today, he takes the twelve aside and he says to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and insulted and spat upon. And after they have flogged him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise again. And here, Jesus approaches Jerusalem. This is the spot where His entire ministry has been headed. This is the trajectory toward which everything previously had been moving toward. He's at the edge. He's literally at the edge of Jerusalem. He's at the edge. He's literally on the edge of giving his life for the life of the world. And that's what Palm Sunday is. It's the edge. It is Jesus finally coming to this point, this point from which there is no return in a natural kind of way. This point that everything previously has been moving toward, this point which his disciples don't understand. It's at the edge. Palm Sunday is the edge of the beginning of Holy Week as Jesus prepares to do what he has come to do. And he is situated right on the hill next to the hill 
of Jerusalem. There's, there's the Kidron Valley in the middle, the, the hill of Jerusalem on one side, the Mount of Olives on the other side. He is situated on the Mount of Olives, and he is prepared to make an entrance. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here, and if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Now, Compared to what Caesar would ride upon, the donkey seems like a humble animal. But in the context of Jewish history, the donkey was in fact the animal that many kings rode upon. In the context of a comparison with Caesar, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem might seem less than majestic. But for the person who knew Scripture well, the scene that unfolded would have brought several scriptures to mind. For the person who had been to Sunday school their whole lives, for the person who had read the scriptures and and knew them backwards and forwards, Zechariah would have come to mind where the prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah would have come to mind, and make no mistake, Jesus and his followers are saying in this scene, this is prophecy fulfilled. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is the one who will take broken Israel and make it whole. This is the one who will come in to be king and will rule on the throne of his ancestor David. Another scripture that would come to mind would have been 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13. Jehu, the king, now just for a little bit of, of context here, you would not have wanted to write a life insurance policy on any of the kings of Israel. They met inglorious ends rather frequently. Jehu is not king, but Elisha comes in and anoints him as king. In secret, Jehu goes back out to his friends. His friends say, what did that guy do to you? And Jehu says, oh, you know, that crazy kind of person just, just blabbered on. And his friend said, no, no, no. Tell us what he said to you. Jehu says, he anointed me king. Then hurriedly, they all took their cloaks and spread them for him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet, and they proclaimed, Jehu is king. Those who knew the scriptures would also have known Psalm 118. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of God. And here we see how it's used in the mouths of those who are proclaiming the entrance of Jesus. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. They take Psalm 118, but they also 
take the verses earlier on in the book of Luke, you remember how at the very beginning of the book of Luke, the angel comes and visits the shepherds as Jesus is about to be born, or after Jesus is born, announcing as the shepherds are about to see Jesus. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. We've come full circle from beginning to end. We've come full circle from blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, glory to God in the highest. We've come from birth to the edge of Jerusalem. And we say, with those who accompany Jesus at the edge, blessed is the king. In the end, that's what Jesus is. He's the king. He's the king of the whole universe. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king through whom the universe and all within it were made. He is the king who calls for our loyalty. He calls for our loyalty more than any cause, more than any person. Jesus calls for our loyalty because he is at the center of our lives. And we as his people, we are citizens of this kingdom. And as citizens of this kingdom, he tells us we may refer to the Almighty as Father, that we have joined the family of God, and that as members of this household, we have all the rights and the privileges of one who is under the reign of Jesus but whom Jesus embraces, forgives, makes whole, and makes holy. And we say, with those who enter the city of Jerusalem, that holy place, with Jesus, blessed is the King. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. God, you are good, and you have called us to be your people. We are citizens of your kingdom, which is not of this world. Remind us. Remind us who we are. We wave our palms, we open our hearts, and we offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.